Hey, this is Erin Lindstrom, and you're listening to Thank You For You. This is a show about celebrating and acknowledging our humanness as well as our beingness, the easy and the hard, the gifts and the (laughs) gifts we don't really like but choose to accept anyway. This is a show about and for people in pursuit of more peace, more joy, more money, more justice, and more of the awe that life has to give us. Thank you for being here, and thank you for you. Hello. <laughs> Bonjour. Welcome. Excited for this episode. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I say that every single week. It's because I mean it. Before we like pop into it, I was actually talking to Audra, who is today's guest earlier today, and the topic of niching came up and I shared something that I think I think was valuable and I want to share it here in case it's valuable for you too. So I am someone who I do a lot of different things, but really they're just like a different version of the same thing. Meaning I help people make money, right? Or make more money through uh, the medium of business. <laughs> and that requires like communication. It requires your copy to be a certain way for your the ex- way you're expressing yourself and your gifts and your programs to be aligned. And I like it to all feel very of service and intentional and purposeful and fun. And so does Audra, which is why I like, it's a fun, it's a fun person to talk to. So in the online business industry and really in any industry, like niche down, niche down, niche down is a big, a big thing you can, you'll hear where people tell you to focus on one thing and just do the one thing and be great. And that's the only way focus, 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 focus. One thing, one thing, one thing niche in my experience, this is like a yes and a no. And what I mean by that is I think it's easy to misinterpret what this means, particularly when we're too zoomed in, meaning in the online business world, like if you are a business coach for online businesses, that is a niche. (laughs) If we zoomed out, that's actually pretty specific, right? And then as you zoom in, maybe it's women that you work with. I don't really believe that that's a niche either, but there's like, right, you can zoom in, you can go further and further and further. However, for many of us, that is limiting, right? Because we are multi-passionate or talented and all of that jazz, and we can do different things. And what we do works in different places and different industries and different, like with different people, right? Not everyone has to be a carbon copy of each other and that's okay. And so what I was saying today is that I think, and I say, I think because like, because it came out of my mouth today and I've been thinking it, but I'm also still processing it and I'm like looking at it. So I, this isn't a rule. This isn't necessarily truth. This is something I think is true. It is true for me. That's what, that's what this is. It's true for me. And I'm going to share it with you. You can feel into it, see if it resonates. I believe in value niching. And to me, what that is, is being really clear on my values and what I care about and what needs to be true for me to work with someone, what makes us aligned as humans, and then going from there. And what I find is the more and more I'm clear on my own values, right? And I'm living my values more and more. What happens is the clients that are, or prospects in this case, like that are attracted to me, 
who watch my content, who interact with me, who I get on the phone with are very aligned in their values. And then we look at like the skill sets and like what you need. And is that a fit? I don't care what your business is about necessarily. <laughs> like, I mean, I care because I want to know and like need that to make sense. But my ultimate yes or no of working with someone is what do you believe? Like, who are you being in this world? What are your values and how are you upholding them? How are you creating a ripple effect of impact in a positive way, right? And not that we can control anything or make everything good, but being mindful, being strategic, being thoughtful and continually learning. So we're doing less and less harm. That's who I want to work with. That's values niching. <laughs> and then from there, you can go into everything else. If you don't have that piece, one of two things is probably happening. Number one, <laughs> perhaps values aren't a value. <laughs> and that's and that's probably an option for some people, right? This doesn't matter to everyone. It's not a deal breaker for some people of who they are working with. It is for me. Earlier this year, I said no to a very big contract. <laughs> you know why? Like, because, because I really didn't align with the CEO. And even though there was crossover and I, I wanted it to work and I knew I could be helpful. And I think I could have, you know, potentially even shifted some of the values and beliefs over there. Ultimately taking money, like didn't, didn't feel good. And I didn't want to be connected to that. So there's a sacrifice involved in having values. And I think there's a sacrifice in leadership and that's something I'm willing to do, right. Is to sacrifice. It's I believe in it so much. Like I can't, it's actually contorting for me to not sacrifice in that way. If I know that something is off and I do it anyway, that does not feel good in my body. And that is not, that is not fun. <laughs> that is not what I'm looking for. So that's where I am with that. The other version of not having values, right. Of, of not value niching first is perhaps just that you haven't thought about it yet or realize that that's a thing. And I'm just here to remind you that it is, you get to choose who you work with. You get to be clear on what your boundaries are and what is a yes. And what is a no you get to listen to your body and like, listen to your intuition and have a strategy. You can do both. In fact, I recommend it. So that is my quick note, quick note on value niching, 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 feel into it. Take what you want, leave the rest as always, but food for thought for today. And now to talk about our episode, today's episode is someone who I feel we're in the same values niche, right? Like when Audra and I met, we met in a coaching container that I was a guest expert in and our, you know, coaching relationship has evolved since then, but talking to her, the more and more I learn about her, the more I'm like, oh my goodness, we are so aligned. Like and I love that. Like, I love working with clients and just seeing like to continue to learn how like good a person is and not that I think people are necessarily good and bad, but I mean, what I mean when I say good is like values aligned, it's integrity, it's, it's mindfulness. It's all of the things that I value. And so when you get to know someone better and better and how they run their business and how they make decisions and when it's all values aligned, like that to me, oh my God, it's so hot. So like, what is hot to you? What, when you get to know someone, what makes you like, oh my God, like, this is amazing. 
that's probably close to your values niching, right? Like pay attention to that because it's probably important. All right. So today's guest is Audra King. Audra King is a lifelong creative who believes that when women create wealth, we make the world a better place. Audra is the founder and CEO of She Loves Her Biz, a coaching and design agency where she and her team make business building easy, accessible, and fun. When she's not using her creative eye and a blend of strategy and mindset to help her clients create lives and businesses they love, you can find her sharing about her path to financial independence, coloring with her daughter, or hosting friends and family under twinkly lights in her backyard. To learn more and grab her free She Loves Money resource that will either be out now or like a week after this recording, <laughs> head to sheloveshabiz.com. Audra's magic. This conversation is a good one, particularly if you resonate with the values niching stuff I was just talking about. So check it out. If you like it, leave a review. If you don't like it, feel free to not leave a review. <laughs> and if you need anything, head over to Instagram. Let me know if you like this episode. DM me at Aaron Lindstrom. Cool. Let's get to it. All right, we're here. We've arrived. <laughs> We've arrived in the present. We've never been further than here. And we've never been older or younger than this moment right here. Right. right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I like to start the podcast off with the same questions every time. So I'm going to cool. ask you, you can take them wherever you want. Long answer, short answer, no rules because I'm a rebel and therefore can't have rules. <laughs> so whatever feels good to you. But the question is, who are you and how did you get here? Ooh, okay. So I'm Audra King. I am a creative and what I do for my business is I help other creative people in lots of industries get their businesses off the ground or pivoted. And I help with both the strategy piece and the implementation through my agency but in terms of who I am, my identity is also strongly tied to being a mom. I have an eight-year-old daughter, to having a strong sense of justice and things that I'd like to see change in the world and using my gifts in strategy and entrepreneurial handholding <laughs> to help see some of those changes come about. Mm -hmm. What was the second part of your question? Oh, how'd you get I? here? How did I get here? Okay. So mm -hmm. take us I, on a journey. <laughs> so I grew up at a very conservative family in the Midwest, super patriarchal structure, but uh, my refuge was in the arts in reading and doing projects and I went to college as an English literature major, minored in Spanish because of a formative experience going abroad with my Spanish class in high school, and then found my way into eventually becoming a Spanish teacher. I taught Spanish and ESL for seven years, always felt like the ESL piece was especially meaningful because it allowed me to have some of that justice work where I could help. I realized through that work, I... I'm passionate about giving voice to the voiceless. And like, when it comes to language, that's, you know, so literal <laughs> in that sense, but also just in being an ally. I used to call it before, <laughs> before one of my 
community members pointed this out to me. She's like, you're an ally. I called it my white lady superpowers <laughs> because there are, are places I can go and conversations I can have that the people that I was working with just couldn't. So now I use the word ally. It's much more PC, but yeah, that that's been a really important part of my journey and something that I'm still passionate about. And when I was teaching, I really, I valued the connection piece. I valued being able to see the difference I was making. But what I realized was that there was a disconnect between the education system I was working in and the, the calling that I had, like the way that I wanted to see things happen for people that there is injustice in our education system because there's injustice in our society. The two are, are linked. So when it got to a point where I think mentally and physically, I just couldn't reconcile that disconnect. That's when I decided to leave the public school system. It was also when my daughter was really young. And so it was an opportunity to be really present for her during those formative years. And so I left teaching, but I still had a lot of drive and energy to, to find a purpose for. <laughs> and so some of that purpose has been found in the business that I now run. I, I did graphic design for a little bit, helping people with educational materials, and then very quickly realized I loved the business strategy piece. I loved the connecting people piece. I found out in my business journeys, there's a whole job title called integrator. I was like, I didn't even know that existed, <laughs> but that's kind of what I like to do. And I started my agency on accident. Actually, I had met all of these wonderful creatives, designers, copywriters, you name it. And I realized that I had all of these great connections. And I also saw women entrepreneurs needing a path to business building because we are wearing so many hats in our lives that just having someone say, here's who can do a great job for you is, is a service that was sorely needed. I launched my agency, She Loves Her Biz in 2020 with the thought of, I'm just going to help my friends connect with my other friends so that they can make their businesses better. <laughs> and about three months in, somebody said, oh, you run an agency. And I was like, oh, I run an agency. <laughs> I love that. So organic, the road yeah. to agency. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Once that became clear, it actually helped me articulate better what I, what I did for people and, and grow the agency in a way that, that feels great. I feel like I get to work with my friends every day. And then as I grew the agency, I realized there's a lot of value in building things for people, but also in the strategy piece. And that's, I think that's where the educator in me and the creative in me can kind of come together and see that big picture break it down into steps and then walk with people kind of on their business journey. And that's what really lights me up. And so now, while I still have the agency side of the business, I've pivoted a little bit to focus on that relationship building with the client in a coaching container. And so I made the decision to stop accepting agency clients that just wanted a website built and didn't want to have that strategy and ongoing coaching piece included to focus my energy really on the people who also value those deeper relationships. They see that it's really helpful to have somebody who's been along on the business journey that can then recommend next steps based on that shared history. 
And so I have a client that I've now worked with. She was one of my graphic design clients and she's come along with me on the whole journey. And so now when we do a website page for her, for a new program or something, it's the easiest project in the world because we just know so much about each other. And I know that style of business isn't for everybody, but for me, those deep relationships make it extra meaningful. I love all of this. I have so many questions and this is so like rich. Mm. So thank you for thank sharing you. all of that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm like, great. Please write the book because I would like to read it now. <laughs> like, what, book, what book is that? <laughs> uh, it's like the this this journey. And I don't know, I think we'll know more at the end of this conversation just because <laughs> like I have questions. But like there's, I mean, I'll tell you the three things that are here right now and then mm. we can kind of navigate them through our conversation if that feels good and whatever if we go away from that. But One thing you said that really struck me, and maybe we'll just go through them as we go, but like giving voice to the voiceless, Mm -hmm. this to me is like, I, I, I take notes as we talk and like, it's highlighted, it's bolded. That to me is like, damn. Okay. Like that's powerful. Can you share with us like a little bit more, like, where did this come from? Mm -hmm. I like, is this a, you were a kid and you were noticing thing. Is this more of like an adult? uh Aha. Like what? Tell us more. What is this? What does yeah. it mean to you? So I think the aha for me came from some some work as an adult, just like internal work, where I was like looking at patterns in my life and realizing that everything that I've been drawn to has had a component of that. But if we want to like go way back, I think it's because living in a, you know, tightly my childhood was very tightly controlled. <laughs> and so I don't think I felt like I had a lot of voice in my, in, a, in some of the things that happened in my youth, but I had a, a personality where it, it's not, it didn't go away, right? Like that drive to, to be heard. And I think a lot of my work as an adult, who's been kind of unraveling some of these experiences has been in realizing that that identity of kind of the quiet listener, which I had taken on. I'm, I am a really good listener, but I also have things to say. And so that's been a journey of permission, giving myself permission to have ideas and to express them. Whereas before, maybe I would have hesitated. And I think the, the piece of expanding that outside of myself is that aha came, I did the 16 personalities test, which is I think based on Myers-Briggs, but it expands it. And I really, when I was reading the write-up, I was like, oh my God, that's me. Like it felt like so true. And one of the pieces was having a very strong sense of right and wrong justice. And I'm actually like, I see tons of gray areas. I'm an INFP and I see lots of gray areas And I generally like just kind of go with the flow until I feel like there is a line that has been crossed and then watch out, (laughs) the flaming sword is out. (laughs) And I I think reading that really just kind of helped me embody that piece of my personality that I hadn't really honed in on until that point. And then when I read that, I was like, that's so true. And I think in our, you know, the way that our society or our culture works, there's so many power structures in play. And I'm in a privileged position related to many, 
as you know, I was raised middle class, I have pale skin, I went to college, all of these things. But then I'm also a woman operating in a patriarchal society. There's a lot of layers to that voice to the voiceless where I think we all rely on different people at different times helping us find our voices and giving voices. But then there's also like this feeling of that's something that we can do for other people as well. And that's something that I have felt called to do. I think about children and so like my work as a teacher and seeing how young people are treated sometimes. And then even when my daughter was born, I was exposed to the work of Angela Lansbury not Angela Lansbury, that's a different person, but it's the Resources for Infant Educators, RIE system. I can't think of her name, but there's a woman who has continued the work of the person who came up with that. And it essentially is just like, infants are whole people from birth. So we should treat them as whole people from birth. And some techniques like she calls it sport casting, but it's basically like, I'm going to change your diaper now. And this is what I'm going to do. And it To me, looking back, it's almost like consent as a, just a given, right? As opposed to something that you have to ask for, (laughs) you know? That's so interesting. I have not heard of that work. I just Googled Angela Medlin, if you're listening. Okay. Um, (laughs) That's fascinating. I like, that's so interesting. I, the sports casting, I am taught in preschools for a while, infant Mm -hmm. rooms up to five-year-olds. I don't know, that strikes the chord because we do really treat children differently in different scenarios. And there is like that lack of consent and do this to please someone else. And I'm watching that now with my daughter too. And my son for that matter, interacting with the world and like different things around, you know, being respectful and not rude, but also if you don't like them because they violated a boundary, who am I to say, be nice to that person? Mm -hmm. Like, so fascinating. Well, and I think it's the same with the elderly. Like I work with a local art museum just on a very part-time basis where I go into a a residence community that has people with dementia and we do just creative art projects together. And just, I, I think we have a lot to learn about treating people like whole people at every, meeting people where they're at as whole people at every place that they're at. So Um, immigrants are another passion where language is a barrier, but also, you know, how they're viewed. I have some friends who are immigrants who, you know, they come from very prestigious positions in their home countries, and then they have to navigate a system where they don't maybe speak the language, they don't understand the customs, and they're doing, you know, much different work. So there's like some disconnect for them to work through. But then as they have access to more and more of a voice, more and more of an understanding of how things work, they're able to make their life here, you know, a good life. And I think that for me, that's really powerful to be a part of and connecting people with resources in the community that they might not have known, known about otherwise is just like adding to the voice that they now have that they can use. Yeah. There's strength in that and being able to speak up and be heard and mm-hmm. respect isn't always given. So, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It's you mentioned, so with the elderly and dementia and doing creative projects there, I would love to hear more about 
like you obviously consider yourself a creative person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you always like, has artist creative been a part of your like identity, I guess, and journey, or is that something that emerged at some point where, how did that kind of come to be? Yeah, it, there's, it's an, it's a process, right? So I think <clears throat> growing up, I always had creative ideas. I was the kid like baking. So my mom worked nights as a nurse and she would come home. Mine too. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so she carried a lot of the weight in the family and, and I would say more than her fair share. And so she worked a lot and a lot of late nights. And I was the kid who would you know, bake an apple pie and, and have it ready when she came home from, from work. But like, I loved baking. I, I bought a sewing machine as like a 14 year old, like what 14 year old buys a sewing machine. right? <laughs> and I would have all of these projects, but, you know, I think the, one of the things that I've carried through my life is I wanted to be a writer. And so when I was in middle school, there were some writing programs where you would go, it was called power of the pen. I don't know if it was like a national thing or a just state thing, but anyways, you would go and, and I would write stuff. And it's funny, the, I remember clearly there was a write a narrative about the night or something. Well, I wrote a poem I guess there's a little bit of a revel in me as well. (laughs) And I remember the feedback was like, this is a, like an amazing poem, but we can't rank it because it's not a narrative, but that like, just that little bit of encouragement. I wrote a lot more poetry when I was younger and then had some other experiences around writing. I had a devastating experience where I had, I was working with a friend and he was an illustrator. I was trying to like kickstart a career in writing. We were working on this combined project and long story short, he didn't meet his deadlines for the illustrations. So our piece didn't get included in the, it was going to be the first published piece and like in this anthology. And I stopped writing for like 10 years. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And a lot, like I went to therapy around, like, I just can't, like, why can't I do this thing that I want to do? And there's still, there's still writing projects that haven't seen the light of day that I want to write, but I've realized that I had also kind of pigeonholed myself into like, this is what a writer looks like. A writer sits down to write every, you know, a writer is Stephen King, basically. (laughs) And I think one of the things that is really fulfilling for me actually in my business is how much writing I get to do. And that it's like a totally different kind of writing than I would have ever considered, but it's very much a part of my, I do sit down and write every day, (laughs) you know, it's just in a different way. I think I got off track. You asked me about my creative journey. Yeah, but but not off track at all. Like that totally makes sense. (laughs) I I resonate with so much of what you shared too. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have dreams of what something is. And then when, as we grow into those dreams, those dreams you know, are, are not a linear path. It's a winding path. And part of my work as an adult has been accepting that (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I kind of like to know the plan and follow the Mm -hmm. plan and, and just being okay with like, okay, it's not linear. It's going to change. Yeah. It's been practice makes better. I've had a lot of practice in that. (laughs) I love that practice makes better. So with these, like, okay, so creative thread, it's interesting. I did a 10 year, like hiatus from writing too. Really? Oh yeah. And like, so 
and it's interesting. I haven't thought about this in so long, but you sharing that. And I think this is why it's so important to like share stories. Cause we all have like little, aha, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I remember in fifth grade, we had like some essay for some state test and I wrote it. It was like, write about your hero or heroine. And I wrote about my mom and like the way that I wrote it was like paragraph, but there's a poem in the middle of it. And then paragraph. Yeah. And it was kind of this like lyric. And I like knew it was good when I wrote it. And I like went to my teacher. I was like, can I please make a copy of this to give to my mom for mother's day? And she let me, which I highly doubt was like allowed. And my mom ended up framing it. And that was in our house for a while. Mm. And so while I have a story about how like, no one told me I was good at writing and blah, 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 but you don't frame a three page essay unless it's like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Right. So I just appreciate that. Like light on like, oh yeah, I was supported. Support doesn't always look the same either. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I've had some realizations around that too. Like there were some stories I was telling myself a little bit mm-hmm. as a victim. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had like, Oh yeah, I guess that's not quite true. Right. <laughs> right. I'm like, what I always tell, like the story, the way that I had that was like, no one told me you could make money writing, which is mm. true. Like, but I went into college thinking like, if I focused on writing, like I'd never do anything. And I will tell you most of my money comes from writing mm-hmm. thousand percent. Even the things that don't look like writing are because I wrote something right. to figure out how to get there. <laughs> like, so had I just, I wish that I had more of that like mentorship around it and the like, mm. do this focus. Yes, you can. And whatever, it's all fine. And we end up where we're supposed to be. Right. But that 10 year, and I think I want to talk more about this just because it's a trust thing that mm-hmm. like blocking off. Right. And like, there's someone else involved and writing is such an intimate art that only you can do. Like I had a situation where my dad read my journal, like my Mm. diary type thing, like took the notebook, read through it, called me, didn't tell me that he did it. He was just like, where are you? And I was like, what are you talking about? And had to piece together what had happened. And I didn't even realize until years later, I was like, oh, I stopped doing this. I stopped writing anything because I didn't want anyone to read it or to have access or to be able to violate my privacy. Right. Mm -hmm. And like that violation, I think, I I think that's very natural as a child, right. Going back to that theme too, of like, what rights do you actually have? Do you have a right to privacy? I have a daughter. I want to read all of her messages because I need to like, I need to know you're safe. And so this like just conversation of like control versus trust and like creating safety, but also like being aware and you don't want to be the parent who like, doesn't get something. I get that. I have more grace and understanding for my dad's moment at that time, but at the same time, still have all of the pain of the, like, don't you dare look at my stuff right. that says, do not open this. <laughs> like, right. Right. Yeah. yeah no, um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it was like, a, a when somebody doesn't uphold what they said mm-hmm. that they would do, that violates that trust that you had in that person. And I think it was just, I had also kind of put all of my, like my belief in the potential of becoming a writer was centered on that project. And so when that project didn't happen, I was like, well, I guess I'm not meant to be a writer. Like I didn't have that thought, but I think that's what I acted upon. Right. Right. It's kind of interesting. Like, it's like the words never came up, but the feeling of it and the like, okay, Mm -hmm. we learned something. It's how do I keep myself safe? Well, not doing that again. Right. 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 Fascinating. Was that project tied to, I mean, I imagine that some sort of like professional thing. I'm wondering how does like money stuff and creativity come together? What is your Mm. kind of journey been around making money, doing something (laughs) creative? Has that been like easy or how's that been for you? You know, I, it, 
I think because, so the journey has been as my self-worth has increased, my view on being paid for creative things has also changed. So when I left teaching, I started freelancing and the first person I freelanced with what I, I cold pitched as my first thing, which looking back on it, I was like, wow, Damn, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was a blogger I had been following and she had like the service that I was interested in. And, and I was like, Hey, can we maybe consider a barter? And she, she went for it. And it was that even though that relationship has since ended that yes was pivotal, right? Like I'm eternally grateful for that. Yes. Because yeah, I, it was that vote of confidence. And so essentially I did some course materials for her, et cetera. And she didn't know what, what I should charge. I didn't know what I should charge. We were both kind of going in blind. And so looking back, I'm like, would I recommend doing custom illustrations and a workbook layout for $10 a page? No, I would not recommend that. <laughs> Fair enough. Live and learn. <laughs> but you know, you live and learn. And then you, you realize, I think what I realized is I can't that whole like price, what you're worth, I think is a, I get where it comes from, but I also think it's really misleading because if you have a low sense of self-value, <laughs> <laughs> you're, right. you're gonna price what you think you're worth. And so, yeah, my, my evolution as somebody who does a lot of creative things in our agency, but also as I've kind of transitioned into more of the coaching and consulting is just, it's not about the it's yes, it's about the transformation, but it's also about like what you make possible for people and whether or not they choose to move forward with that possibility. You're just there to like facilitate. And I'm much less, I still want to get amazing results for people, but I'm less tied to the outcome and more see the value in the process. Right. Mm, yeah. And, and that's what I look for in my own coaches is somebody who can walk beside me through the process. And I, you know, I know that I have the responsibility for the outcome based on having that companion along the way. Right. Like, right. obviously you work with people that you think you can learn from and that can help you, but right. ultimately the results you get are your own responsibility. Right. And I think I was just on a call earlier today with somebody who does a lot of work with creatives and her, you know, her thoughts on pricing were around like how proficient you are and like you mm. charge more as you become more and more proficient. And I've realized that things are so subjective, especially in the creative space that in my opinion, that's a very analytical way to look at things. And I tend mm -hmm. to go much more like loosey goosey mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, because it's about the value to that person who chooses right. to make the purchase. And so I told a story when I was doing my graphic design business, I was introduced to VIP days. Mm -hmm. And so I switched my structure to VIP days. Actually, when I launched my agency, it was all VIP day based as well. And so I was charging a thousand dollars a day for my VIP day with graphic design. And I had a connection who, you know, she has launched and sold a very successful business. She has lots of money and she wanted some hand-drawn pieces. And I said, well, I can do that, but it's going to have to fit into the structure of my day, which is a thousand dollars a day. She's like, great, no problem. And so I'm not a professional artist, <laughs> 
but I had what she needed. She trusted mm-hmm. me. She knew that I understood the vision. It was good enough for what she wanted. And I got paid a thousand dollars for a drawing. <laughs> like, yeah. You tell an artist who has been struggling and who is, I'm sure, far more proficient than I am in what they're doing. And that's going to be a bit of a disconnect for them because right. they're still tying it to probably what they, you know, the different understanding of worth, I think. Right. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Does your, as you've kind of grown your business and stepped from having a set salary into, oh, I am, you know, in charge of how much I'm making in a way you mentioned before that you had like a very controlled environment as a kid. Did you have like money mindset stuff that came up that you kind of had to figure out? Or was that like a natural, I am abundant and (laughs) actual and reality and in my body. You know what I mean? Uh, Definitely the former. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I grew up learning, you have to work really hard for money. So Mm. I watched my mom work really hard for money and sacrifice, you know, her body and her, her creativity. She's a really creative person too. That woman will like even as adults, my brother just turned 31 and she threw him a Lord of the Rings themed birthday party. Oh my like, God. I love that. <laughs> complete with an eye of sorrow and above the dining room table. Like she's super creative. She's retired now and, and lets herself explore that more. But, you know, I saw her burn herself out to provide for us. And so in my mind, if you're not working hard for your money, you don't deserve it. There was a lot of like guilt around money and, and worth, like, am I doing enough that that's what I encountered early in my freelance career. And and even like up until the past couple of years is, is like, am I doing enough? Am I serving enough? Am I providing enough? And I was at a, so I'm interested in personal finance. We have investments. We've inherited some money that we bought investment properties with. So we have rental units. And so at this point in my life, like I'm financially comfortable But I remember, I think it was in 2019, in the fall of 2019, my husband and I were at a a retreat and it was around personal finances. And there was actually, it was the person that I did the drawings for. She, I was talking to her and I was like, how do you handle having money and not feeling guilty because there's so many people who don't and who can't, you know, put food on the table and, you know, her response and the response of some of the other people who, you know, were the, those few steps ahead. Cause at that point we could kind of see that things were building, like our portfolio was growing. We were getting income from the rentals, but it wasn't to the point yet where we felt like, okay, this is a sure thing. And she, she was like, you know, you get to a point where you realize that you can have more impact with having more money then you can like staying poor basically and like having that poverty mindset and and the work of Rachel Rogers has influenced me and in how I think about this too. I kind of integrated those two perspectives, but basically what I, how I got past my guilt was realizing that money wasn't the problem. It's like much bigger than money, <laughs> but money can help to solve that problem. Right. And so mm-hmm that by playing small or feel like wasting energy, feeling guilty for having more than some other people do, wasn't fixing the problem. And it wasn't helping me solve the problem. I also have a friend, she's brilliant at thinking about 
economics, et cetera. And there's the whole like pie metaphor, like more pie for me doesn't mean less pie for you. Mm-hmm. And her view on money has kind of expanded what I've thought it was possible to where like, there's more money than, than what we even know of in the world. If I have more money, it doesn't mean you have less money. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can use my money to help you make more money. <laughs> right. 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 Does that yeah. make sense? I feel like I kind of went in circles. No, it, it does there. make sense. It's like an interesting, like, <laughs> I love that, you know, money mindset is such a thing that's like thrown around, think positive, you mm-hmm. can have it. And like, no, there's accessibility. There's like in the world we live in, in the capitalist patriarchal society, like it's not always that easy. Perhaps right. for some people it is, but not for everyone. And so I think that view and actually you're right in a capitalistic society while money doesn't solve problems like it is needed to solve problems like Mm -hmm. we do actually need to flow it in different directions and who has it and who's making decisions with it does matter and so it's kind of one of those things where like yeah I don't want to play this game like yeah let's just you know live on a farm together and make our own food in some ways but that's not our reality that's not where we live that's not the time that we're in right now so if the name of the game is capitalism how do I play this? And how do I play this ethically? And so I'm in integrity. And so that the people I hire have a really good work experience. So if I remember you speaking to me in a different conversation about your rental properties and like creating a good living situation for people who are renting from you versus being one of the landlords who just like, you know, takes from people and like, doesn't have to raise rent in the way, you know what I mean? It's all about how we're doing these things too, Mm -hmm. because someone's going to do them. So Right. Like, so at what point if you have a, Oh, I think I could do that. Or I'd like to do that, but I don't want to do it because ew, how we do it. Like, great. Mm -hmm. Do it differently. Yeah. I think that's kind of the invitation of this time. For sure. And I think one thing that I realized is that I don't have to fight every battle. Like Mm -hmm. I can pick and choose the battles. I used to feel like the, the problems are so immense. The Mm -hmm. like struggle is so big. Mm -hmm. I need to do some, like, I need to stand from the pulpit and preach, but I don't want to do that. But how do I reconcile that? You know? And I realized it's not about like, we don't all have to become a figurehead to make a difference and we can choose the choose the spaces that feel the best and bring the most happiness. I think that kind of ties into that idea that you have to work hard to make money. It's almost like you have to suffer to make a difference. Mm. That was a a belief that I held. Mm -hmm. Like you have to give everything you have, all of yourself and more, all of your money and more to, to have that sense of, of right. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I realized that that also was a false belief. If I give everything I have of myself, then I don't have anything more to give later. Right. And I can't be the mom I want to be. I can't be the partner I want to be. And that the, I think the accumulation of the small manageable things that we do to try and make the world a better place are often more powerful than trying to make one perfect stand on something. Yeah. And, and that's, That's really where one of the taglines I use in my business came from. When women create wealth, we make the world a better place because Mm -hmm. statistically it has been shown that women redistribute wealth in their communities. They they use it to help their families, you know, with education and lifting their families up, which then lifts the community up, which lifts everybody up. Right. Right. And so that's, 
one small way that I make that difference. It also happens to be fun for me, which mm -hmm. I had to like, you know, bring together, like, that's okay, that it's fun. Mm -hmm. And it's how I'm making a difference. And it makes me money, like mind blown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that took a while to, to come to and feel okay about. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. This was like such a dynamic conversation. I am so excited that people get to listen in. If people want to learn more about you, where should they go? What should they do? Yeah. So I have a website. It's sheloveshirbiz.com. Mm -hmm. Check it check it all out over there. I also offer monthly workshops at, at least at this point they're monthly and we explore my other motto in my business was, which is follow the fun. So mm. I have guests on every other month. And then I also teach on a different topic on the alternate months all around following the fun in your life and in your business, because as we know, they're both so interconnected. Mm hmm Oh, Love and it. I'm on, I'm on the socials at she loves her as well. <laughs> yep. Perfect. I'm well, kind we'll of on the show notes too. So no worries. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for doing your work in the world and thank you for you. Oh, thank you, Erin. It was a pleasure to talk to you today. Hey, it's Erin. And I want you to know that you matter everything you're doing and everything you've done. It all matters. It all counts because you are important to the people around you, your family and friends, your audience, your clients, and quite honestly, to the world. Whether you're changing lives on the front line or changing lives while you're changing diapers, your presence matters. Every life you touch counts. And from just one interaction, there can be infinite, meaningful effects. And for that reason, I wanna thank you for showing up and doing the work to be with yourself and share your light and your gifts and your love with those around you. If you want support with any of this human being stuff, you're always welcome to join me inside of my coaching membership, Human Being Club at humanbeingclub.com or follow along with me on Instagram for more behind the scenes, silly stuff at Erin Lindstrom. Once again, thank you for being here and thank you for you.